He's a Navy veteran. He was also a police officer in the Las Vegas area when the infamous hotel shooting occurred. More than a thousand bullets fired, 60 people killed, 413 injured. Then he transferred to another agency in Washington State. He's here to talk about how this impacted him and ended his police career. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you by 4Patriots.com. That's number 4Patriots.com. They offer the world's best survival food, the Patriot Power Generator 2000X and more. And right now, you can go to 4Patriots.com and use code LET to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store. You'll also get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order. Plus, free shipping on orders over $97. And a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. Just go to 4Patriots.com. That's a number 4Patriots.com. Use code LET to get 10% off. Contact is from South Carolina. We have Rob Hollingsworth on the phone. Rob is a former law enforcement officer. He's a Navy veteran. And we'll talk about the whole thing, the hierarchy with ex-former and retired in a moment. Before we get into that, Rob, I want to thank you for your service and thank you for talking about a really difficult topic on the Law Enforcement Today show. Both very much appreciated. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Anytime. There's very few things I correct people about policing because there's so many bad misconceptions, primarily from the media. But I'm retired. I got hurt and retired young. I was retired at the age of 33. So when someone calls me ex-police, I'm like, no, no, that's retired. Former is when someone leaves their own accord. X usually means in my book that they were fired by the agency and it's usually because of questionable circumstances. That does not apply to you. You were let go by the agency you worked for, but you served honorably. I was not let go. I actually resigned from my agency. Is that what you said? Okay. You resigned. So you're former. Yep. Correct. All right. To me, that's a big deal. It may not be to a lot of people. A very quick overview Rob's website is PYFTribe.com. That's PYF for Plant Your Flag Tribe.com. And you'll understand what he's talking about in a moment. You were uh, a Navy veteran. Then you went and served in a police department in the Las Vegas area. Am I correct? That's correct. The Henderson Police Department. Henderson is really close to uh, Las Vegas itself, isn't it? Yeah, they butt right up against each other. If you were looking from a bird, bird's eye view, you couldn't tell where one started and the other ended. Well, the reason I bring that up is, I believe it was 2017, there was an incident that occurred at Mandalay Bay Hotel, uh, Mm -hmm. a shooting from the 32nd floor where a guy started taking a thousand shots fired, killed 60 people, wounded at least 413 at a concert outside in the area, and you wound up being dispatched to that. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. That's uh, there's just no way to talk about this, and I I got to be honest with you. I went through so much trauma, so much violence, so many murders, and I cannot begin to comprehend 
what that scene must have been like. Was there anything that could prepare you for that? Ooh, that's a tough question. I don't think so. I think as a human being first, um, we're not meant to see any of that stuff, especially as a law enforcement officer. So you know how it is. You kind of put yourself in a in that mode in any incident you go to, and then the trauma usually happens after the fact. Right, right. Because I got a job to do. We always said, there's an old yeah. saying, suck it up, buttercup. You're the police. You got a job to do. You can lick your wounds later on. Uh, and right. that's what we did. I, I tell people I cried many times with a patrol car, never on scene. But right. to, to show up where this, this concert was going on, and so many people shot, so many people under fire, uh, there's so many acts of heroism by the police there, I can't even begin to wrap my head emotionally, mentally, or logically over what they went through. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I can go into detail about kind of what we did. I'm, there's a lot of officers that did some heroic acts. I'm not going to say I did that. Um, I know the officer, the Las Vegas Metro officer that got killed. He was a concert goer. I knew him personally. Um, but yeah, as far as being exposed to any of that stuff, I think any officer in that Las Vegas Valley definitely felt something. I was policing a long time ago, and we're trained certain things to do. And I wrote a story a long time ago for Law Enforcement Today uh, about a true incident. When I was a rookie, fresh out of the academy, it was springtime, and we get a call. I was a backup officer for a man who set himself on fire with gasoline. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Rob, going through the checklist, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when when you're heading there? And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. Uh, So when you get to a call... An incident where so many people are being shot, I don't even know where you start. Yeah, you just start, I guess. I think that sounds like a simple answer, but you just start finding work and get to it. That's about the the only way I can explain is like, yeah. usher people out, try to get them safe, get some cover, concealment, all these things. Because when the police were first dispatched there, this was an active shooter. This was going on for quite a while, wasn't it? Yeah, so I actually, just to give a little back, quick backstory, so I was about probably 10 to 12 minute code run uh, away from the strip. Uh, briefing starts at 10, that's one time I started my shift, but we normally don't hit the road till 10.40. I think that the first rounds were right about 10 o'clock, give or take a couple minutes. Uh, sergeant's at the front of the room, he gets a call, he says, shooter, Mandalay Bay, go. So we all just started hightailing it down there. Um, later on, we kind of transferred to more of a... Um, because we didn't know what was going on. Was it secondary assets? Were they going after infrastructure? But we also transferred into do work in hospitals and blood banks because we got an influx of uh, blood donors in the Vegas Valley that morning. So, so you're heading there, and it's not even your jurisdiction. You're there as backup. Yeah, so the Las Vegas, not to go into too many tactical things, they run like what's called a MACTAC. Uh, which basically every officer, when they activate it, there's certain rally points designated around the valley, and then, you know, first and secondary teams. So as something like that happens, it's like first, you know, first MACTAC activation, first teams get set and go, and then you start having the secondaries. Because there actually was a lot of info about, you know, shooters at and all the other properties as well, which turned out to be false, but it's just chaos. And then the comms actually went down because they were so inundated. Well, so people would think that it should be very easy to identify where shots are coming from. Uh, And I'm not an expert in Vegas. My experience was from Baltimore. And the way sounds echo, it takes a while to pinpoint where shots are coming from. Was that the case with the shooting at Mandalay Bay? 
yeah, you couple the lights and the, you know, it's just being dark at night and then reflections from lights, strobes, et cetera. And then you see, you could see, clearly see Mandalay Bay, but you can't see it's glass. So you could barely even tell anybody. So stuff like that is hard to identify. And the shooter was on the 32nd floor. If my memory's correct, they, they busted out a window, positioned rifles, and started shooting from there. When you're looking yeah. from a concert area, 32 floors below is a, a tremendous amount of distance. Most police I know only carry pistols. You're not going to hit anybody from that far, and it would be difficult to ascertain where the shots are coming from unless you see a muzzle flash. Correct. Here's the thing. Trying to get, I, I look. My hats off to everybody who was there, including you, Rob. That uh, there's so much hectic stuff going on. I'm sure it was. Uh, I, I can relate to what I've been through. When people fired at me, when they shot at me, I was shocked. I was surprised. I'm like, what? You don't even know me. Why are you shooting at me? Why are you trying to kill me? I, I, I'm just the police. That's all I, I knew. These people are enjoying a concert. Nothing going on. All of a sudden, people start dropping and they hear gunshots. And I think the their reaction would probably be a bit of a delay, wouldn't it? Yeah, and just con- confusion, disorientation, et cetera, et cetera, especially with all that many people. All right. And he has so many police showing up. We were talking with Rob Hollingsworth. He was with the Henderson, Nevada Police Department when the Mandalay Bay shooting occurred. We're talking about that. Then we're going to talk about his transferring to a agency in Washington State and how all the trauma between those events and his police career began to impact him including his own officer involved shooting and what happened. This is Law Enforcement Today's show we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. National security experts are warning our aging power grid is more vulnerable than ever. Imagine a blackout lasting not days but weeks or months. Your life would be frozen in time right at the moment the power fails. Lights all over the country go out, throwing people into total darkness. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. With the new Patriot Power Generator 2000X, you get a solar generator that doesn't install into your house because it's portable. You can take it with you, even use it inside. But it's powerful enough for your phones, medical devices, or even your fridge. And right now, you can go to 4 and use code LET to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in a store, including the Patriot Power Generator. You'll also get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order. Plus, free shipping on orders over $97, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. Just go to 4 That's number 4 and use code LET to get 10% off. That's 4 Use code LET to get yours today. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show Return Conversation with Rob Hollingsworth. He's in South Carolina. He was a member of the Henderson, Nevada Police Department right outside of Las Vegas when the Mandalay Bay shooting occurred, and he responded to the scene. A little bit later on, he wound up transferring to an agency in Washington State, which we'll get to in a moment. Rob, I got to go back to Mandalay Bay, and we, 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 before we went to break, we talked about people's delayed reaction, and then they, they realize they're under fire. How many police were on scene, and probably how many people were there? We we know that 60 were killed, and at least 413 were injured, which is mind-boggling. 
But you add into that all the chaos of all the people and the police. Uh, about how many people were there and about how many police? Ooh, I don't know how many people were concert goers. I don't recall. And it, we talk about chaos. Everybody scrambles every which way. People going over fences and getting into cars and citizens taking over ambulances to drive. Um, as far as the officers, ooh, man, a couple hundred for sure. Just about every officer that wasn't on something in that valley, which is definitely probably up in the 300 range, I would presume. Don't quote me on that. And then uh, there was also officers coming in uh, that were off, off duty, and coming in and grabbing spare patrol cars and heading down to help as well. We didn't have specialized training in dealing with things like this. Well, the the scenario was in Baltimore back in the day, long time ago, was you try to secure the scene and then notify what we called our QRT team, which was our SWAT mm-hmm. team, and they would respond. Quite often, they were officers working other parts of the city, so it would take a while. If you could establish the threat and everything else, patrol officers would handle it. Again, a lot of people think there's a long delay, and I really don't see that. Uh, how... How long did it take before police were able to neutralize or end the scenario? You know, I don't want to actually say because I don't know the numbers. I know that there was officers at the concert, so the response was instantaneous. But you you couple in the confusion as to where the actual shooter is. And I know that they stacked up uh, going into the hallway. I just don't remember that timeline. Right. And what I'm getting at is so many people, it's easy to say, well, they did this wrong. They did that wrong. We always say this. I always say this. Most of my really horrific incidents, uh, if they lasted 15 seconds, that was a long time. However, yeah. they're they're dissected by so-called armchair quarterbacks talking about from the, the safety and comfort of their keyboard for years. And that's what I saw a lot of with Mandalay Bay. I saw a lot of people especially on social media, making comments about, well, they should have done this. And look, I love police. I really do. But I I despise when so-called tactical experts go, well, if I was there, I'd have done this. My response is, you weren't there. So shut it. Correct. Correct. You You can sign your name up. We're we're begging for officers now. So Yeah. People think they can do a better job. Look, every department I know of in the United States is hiring. Go go for it. Show us. Tell tell us how to do it. So you you had the the obvious I would think would be obvious traumatic effects from this incident. Uh, how long were you there? How long were you exposed to all this violence, all this trauma? So for me, so I lived on the west part of the valley, so the strips in the center. Then I worked on the east, so I had to drive past the strip on the freeway to get to and from work. Um, I worked that day. A we I worked about one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, supposed to be off at six. So I don't know, 17, 18 hour day, something like that. Uh, and then I drove back and that's kind of when I started, you know, breaking down a little bit, driving back to my wife and I could see on the freeway, the curtain from the 32nd floor flowing outside. Um, and it was just kind of, that was the sun had to come up at that time. Obviously it's in the afternoon, the aftermath. So it was really just pretty traumatic thing to look at for me. And then also my daughter had a scheduled C-section three days after that. Um, so when I was responding to the strip and then working and that was on my mind, I think that was actually my second to last day before going on leave to have that baby. Um, and I had some friends down at the concert, so I had to deal with that as well. Um, but yeah, the, the curtain definitely sticks up in my mind. 
it's I don't want to say funny as in ha ha funny, but it's ironic. There's certain things that will always be, and I hate the term triggering events that I, I see them, and when I see them, or something reminds me of them. Uh, I immediately start going back into that mode of I was there again. Uh, and it's not like walking, talking, reenacting stuff. It's the physical response. Right. And I, I really yeah, don't know how to describe that to people. Well, I think when we're operating on scene, you're you know, not tunnel vision because you should be able to handle that stuff you know, eventually. But... Um, kind of tunnel vision like you're not focused on those traumatic triggers possibly until you start maybe winding down a little bit or certain scenes stick out to you while you're there you just don't realize it so when you're operating on scene you may not be absorbing it it might be the after effects let me ask you a point blank question was the sheet billowing from the window something that will always associate you'll always associate with that event yes here's the reason i bring it up is and this happened quite a while ago Rob, I was driving down a street in South Florida, and a, a burgundy Corvette with a white v- convertible roof made a U-turn in front of me, and it started coming right at me. And I almost immediately had a gut-level reaction from a shooting that was involved in where the guy was stolen. He'd murdered the victim, stole their Corvette. It was a convertible, same color thing, and he hit me head-on while shooting at me. And immediately, oh, wow. I was like, Ugh! and then I was like, okay. That's yeah. this. This is today. This is not then. This is not. This this is now. I don't need to worry about this guy. Same thing. It's a, it's a funny how that is, and it's one of the things that people say. And I know they're well intended. They're like, "Hey, just let it go or do this." And I'm thinking, well, it's kind of hard to stop a natural reaction when these things occur. Yeah, well, we're physiological human beings, so we can't control everything. And I think us trying to control something is actually probably contributing to the trauma. So you just need to accept, yep, it's always going to be there. I'm always going to remember that. Let's just get some skills on how to deal with it. <laughs> get some skills on how to deal with it. Look, that's uh, easier said than done, but I got to say this. There is light at the end of the tunnel, uh, and uh, those who are afflicted, and it doesn't have to be police. It doesn't have to be military. It could be victims of crime. It could be for whatever reason. If you are, are plagued with, and I hate the term PTSD, but if you're plagued with PTSD or PTSI or PTS or whatever terms people want to use, Life does get better, but requires learning different things. We're talking Rob Hollingsworth. Rob is a United States Navy veteran. He was also a member of the Henderson, Nevada Police Department, which is a suburb right next door to Las Vegas, was dispatched to the Mandalay Bay Hotel shooting, where a 1,000 bullets were fired, 60 people were killed, and at least 413 were injured. It had impacts on him. And he decided it was time to try policing in a different area and transfer to Washington State. When we return to the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll talk about what happened there and what his life was like today. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click like and follow Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk radio show Facebook page. 
I have some exciting news to share with you. You are going to love my Your Diet Do-Over Do-It-Yourself course on HarmonyWithFood.com, which means you could do everything at your own pace. I put my heart and soul into this course. Have you been on every diet there is only to gain the weight back? If your relationship with food is, well, not that good, you should purchase the Your Diet Do-Over course. Go over to HarmonyWithFood.com, click the Your Diet Do-Over tab and get started today. Welcome back to the Law Enforcement Today show. We are joined by Rob Hollingsworth. Rob is a United States Navy veteran. He was a member of the Henderson, Nevada Police Department, which is outside of Las Vegas. He was on scene dispatch to the Mandalay Bay shooting where a thousand bullets were fired, 60 people were killed, and at least 413 were injured. And that's a heavy, heavy hit. By the way, his website now is pyftribe.com. That's for Plant Your Flag, pyftribe.com. I got to ask you this, Rob. Before the break, we, we, we talked about Mandalay Bay. And I'll, to be totally honest with you, I really don't feel comfortable going into a lot of details about that because it's so horrific uh, that right. I don't think people want to spend as, as much time there as they can. And those who do, my hat's off to them, those who can talk about it. Uh, those seem to be people, in my opinion, that the ones that are really there, I, I don't think they talk much about these things. During your police career, did you go through other things, that, like an officer-involved shooting that had a tremendous impact on you? Yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, multiple murder-suicides. Vegas is a pretty violent valley as far as domestics. And then I did get into OIS in 2018. Um, that was, uh, it was, a, it was. I don't want to say fine because taking somebody's life, but I don't think we are meant to take people's life. That's how I grew up. Um, we do everything we can to preserve life. That's the number one duty. But unfortunately, that was not the cause that day. Sometimes we can't control. There's only so much we can do. And and part of my problem was uh, I I fell victim to the Superman complex. I should be able to do this. I, I'm mm-hmm. not God. I'm not Superman. And I can't control other people's actions. Correct. Yeah. You're gonna ultimately somebody's gonna make their choice. You can do everything in your power to sway them. Otherwise, but they make this make that choice, and that's it. Is what it is. So, correct me on the history. Was your officer involved shooting after Mandalay Bay? Yes. Yeah, it's about almost a year um, on the day. Were you feeling the impacts of Mandalay Bay between that before the shooting? Was it affecting you? I would say yes now. I would say if you asked me that a couple years ago when I was there, I would say no. But looking back, I mean, I don't think everybody's even still people aren't healed from that um but living in that valley and, and there was there was a dark time in that valley it was kind of it was just pretty pretty unfortunate just kind of like a an aura about the valley that was just kind of depressed and rightfully so but uh yeah as far as like me personally i think yeah you know, I, I don't know yeah that's I would say yes now, but as a young officer, I would probably tell you no to kick rocks. <laughs> well, I, 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 I agree, too, because I look back and I think that I, I must have been addicted to adrenaline. 
Uh, and yeah. there was a time, and I tell people this, and I jokingly say it, but I'm, I'm dead serious. I must have really yeah. enjoyed getting shot at because it happened a lot, and I seem to look for those kind of guys. I hear you on that. I would put myself in that category. Yeah, and it's uh, when I was working, when I knew what to do, when I knew what my roles were, it was easy. For me, the trouble really began when things got quiet. When I retired, man, that's when things really hit me hard. Right. Was that the case for you? Uh, yeah. So as I, um, so I left about a year ago, last March. Um, and then after about six months, uncontrollably, you just have kind of chambers and boxes start to open up in your head from all the experiences. Some of which I didn't even remember until I was like, Oh, that, why does that popping into my head? And I think that's the com- when we come, compartmentalize right. excuse me um throughout our career and then when you kind of stop that thousand mile an hour vehicle instantaneously your mind starts doing uncontrollable things and so uh after about six months i realized i was like yeah i think i'm gonna start talking to some people and going through some therapies before we get into that i'm glad you did you you went to the shooting in henderson uh, and that was about a year after the mandalay bay shooting and Without going into a lot of details about the shooting itself, were you, obviously you weren't the same guy afterwards. It's unavoidable. Uh, when I say guy, that means men and women. That's not just a male or female thing. It's everybody. And that's the way it was for us policing. You're just guys. But right. people wind up changing. All of a sudden, and I, I, Hollywood loves this phrase, especially when it comes to combat, the thousand-yard stare. Did you... Right. Did you begin to change? Did, did people close to you start seeing a difference in you? I'm sure they did. I don't remember anybody verbalizing it. I think if you're, and not to minimize what other officers are doing, but it does depend on where you're policing at in this country. Um, Cause you could do 20 years in one place and not be exposed to stuff. And then you could do, that was in the, my first two or three years of policing. I had all of those experiences. So to me, it was like, where where else can this go? Like, what else can I be exposed to that that I haven't already? Which is unfortunate thing to say, but it's actually the reality. But and not to, I don't want to minimize what other officers are doing in like you know rural South Dakota or something. You know, I'm sure they get exposed to their same level of trauma. It's just it was packed on and packed on and packed on in such an early time frame, early in my career, that I would I would have to say it changed me. And you were a Navy veteran. You were in the military before that. Yes. Did you go through any combat-related experiences before this? Or is like um, you served in, in non-camp, non-combat positions? By the way, both are cool, no. and we don't get to call the shots on that. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I didn't really get exposed a whole lot in the military. I was overseas for a while uh, running a bomb dog. But fortunately, I didn't have any major incidents that uh, affected me. So when you, time to transition out of the military, was policing a calling for you? Did you like, I, I'm going to do this, or I really want to do this, or, hey, by the way, Las Vegas or Henderson's hiring, I'm going to go there? Yeah, I wanted to be a cop since I was probably 10 years old. And so uh, graduating college in about 2009, 2010, I applied to Las Vegas Metro. And mind you, the economy was not what it was. So they had minimal jobs. I think it was like six or eight positions for the entire year. I did not get hired. There was also 3,500 applicants at my testing group, which was the only one for the year. So I got declined, and then I always wanted to be in the military. So I said, well, being in the military will help me become a cop. 
So I, I enlisted in that and then did that. And then I got hired by Henderson a month, month or two after I got out of the military. So it was pretty quick. You really didn't have any time to let down and say uh, the, the, the transition period that people love to use a phrase transition from military to policing. You were a month and you're in the academy. Uh, yeah, it was about three months, I think, but I had my offer letter in about a month and a half. Was policing what you expected or was it? I, look, I thought I knew what I was signed up for. I, I'd say this all the time and people say, well, you signed up for this. I thought I knew violence. I thought I knew trauma. I thought I knew it was coming my way. Turns out I really didn't have a clue because it was far more intense than I ever, ever imagined. Yeah, it was pretty close. I think what kind of, and I knew I was going to have to deal with it because I was in, I was wrapping up my military service during the Michael Brown stuff, not to go into that, but you started to see that uh, pendulum kind of shift back over. So I knew I was going to have to deal with some stuff, but I think the amount of political stuff that you have to deal with, especially in the last couple of years, I was not expecting. Um, And ultimately that kind of pushed me out but um as far as the violence and stuff yeah it was pretty consistent with what i kind of expected we are talking to rob hollingsworth rob is a former law enforcement officer navy veteran he was policing in henderson nevada outside las vegas during the mandalay bay shooting he was on scene he was involved in his own officer involved shooting and then when we return we're going to talk about him transferring to another agency in washington state and how it impacted him and what he does with his life now Want to win great prizes in awesome contests? Who wouldn't want that? It's easy. Just sign up and subscribe for the Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. This is Law Enforcement Today show. We'll be right back. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show Return Conversation with Rob Hollingsworth. Rob is a Navy veteran. He's a former police officer. He worked in Henderson, Nevada, a suburb of Las Vegas. He was on scene for the Mandalay Bay shooting. It was in his own officer-involved shooting about a year later. And he now has a website. It is pyftribe.com. P-Y-F as in plant your flag, tribe.com. So, speeding forward... Rob, you, you decided to, to go to Washington State from Las Vegas. Is that where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up up there. And that's where your formative years were? That's where you really want to do policing? Did you think that it would it'd be a fresh start for you, that, hey, life would be better for me here? You know, honestly, I wanted to police in Vegas uh, from a young age, and I did not want to go in Washington. Um, but after having two kids at the time um, – I, I realized that Vegas may not be the best place to raise my kids how I wanted to. And then all the family was back in Washington. So I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll take one for the team, for the family here, and we'll, we'll go back. 
Um, I did that in 2019. And did you think that'd be like, okay, now the, the pressure's off, I can relax a bit and kind of like have the, the, the white picket fence, the dog, the two kids, and life would be great? <sighs> no. <laughs> no, I did not think that. I thought, yeah, I think it'll be a, a little bit better to raise a family, get some property. I made more money up there. Um, and then, you know, just being being able to see grandparents and stuff like that was is important to me. Um, but that state's gone a different direction. And obviously, you began to transition and change and started developing problems in your personal life as a result of all the trauma you've been through. Can you paraphrase that? I don't think I was anything outstanding more than any other officer in the country. I think I was. it was pretty magnified as an officer in those areas of those cities in 2020, dealing with all the riots and stuff. So we had to deal heavily with that, heavily with new laws and litigation, officers getting charged. So you compound that on top of my experiences and what I've been through and then just moving my family there. And you could see where, how I was feeling, but I don't think I was, every other officer in the country was feeling that as well. By the way, Rob wrote a really interesting article and this is how I got introduced them. Uh, that's on law enforcement today. And it, it's a casualty from the war on cops, a young officer's decision to step away in his journey after one year of exiting. Uh, and it's a great article. Some of the things you talked about in there is ways you would avoid going to work. Uh, and look, I get it. I'm not here to judge. I'm not saying a judgmental way. People would say, oh, if you're afraid, get away from there. Um, but that's not, that, that's a really oversimplified way of doing this. How were some of the, what were some of the things you would do to avoid going to work? I don't think it's avoid going to work per se. It's just, we're doing the bare minimum. So I didn't make any traffic stops. I did no proactive work versus you compare that to what I did in Las Vegas. I was making probably 15 proactive stops plus a night compared with an increased call volume. Washington, we said, no, I'm not doing that. Other people were doing it, but I didn't feel like getting arrested. So I shut that down. And so I was just a call responder. That's all I solely did. Um, as far as like, yeah, going, not going to work days in 2020, it was dragging myself out of bed, sleeping poorly to go to work, to serve people that felt all hated us. Um, I don't think you are foreign to that, that ideal as well. Um, but yeah, just, just kind of put yourself in that environment and people, Oh yeah, you didn't do anything. It's like, well, I did, but they made laws in that state that basically said that you couldn't put somebody and detain them into handcuffs because that's considered a use of force. So they would charge you stuff like that. So if I can't do my job safely, then why am I going to go in and risk my life, uh, to either get hurt or arrested? I look, I, I don't have an answer for that. There was a time back in the day, what, and we had people like that. We we call them mobile secretaries. Look, they didn't do anything policing-wise. And right. then you had guys like me, and I say guys, that's men and women. Again, I'll say that, men and women, that were always policing, always looking for the bad guys. Guns, drugs, murders, you name it. We didn't do traffic stops unless we thought you were a stolen car, you did a murder, you had a gun in. That, that's the way it was because it was just too busy of an area to do that. Now, as I look back and I say, man, if you do policing nowadays, I, I think you need to be a mobile secretary. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, the difference between the first three years and the last three years is night and day different. And it just happens to be which agency I was working for. 
And I met guys, and again, I'll say the third time, that's men and women, that were in the later stages of their career. They were like the salty old cops. They did the bare minimum. They handled their calls. They handled their posts. They did their business, but they were never first on scene for everything. And I, at the time, Rob, to be totally honest, I looked down on them, thinking, you know, what's wrong with you? You're lazy. You're scum. You're whatever it might be. Until I started to achieve that and become some of the same, where it's like, ah, I'm not so sure I want to do this anymore. Correct. Yep. <laughs> Completely agree on that front. And it happens. It really does. So you went to Washington State, but you, you decided you needed help. And you sought therapy, you sought other tools, and, and then did the agency you worked for become uh, aware of what was going on? So I didn't really have much. Of the, most of the stuff that surfaced for me was post-resignation. Um, I did, in a probably 2021, I started researching what's known as EMDR and other therapies for first responders, but I was still fighting it, like many, many officers do, and this is a point I want to drive home. Um, I was still fighting it, and I went one time, because uh, we had an on-duty therapist, I went one time, and I didn't go back. So I was like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, and you're not. Well, I, I'll be honest with you, there were lots of wonderful people that tried to help me, but I wasn't totally honest with them. I would not tell yeah, them the truth. Yeah. And part of it is, look, I, I didn't want to admit to someone else that was not part of the tribe, and I'm using a pun, and I'm air quoting, that didn't understand trauma and policing, I wasn't going to reveal my innermost secrets. And to be totally honest with you, there's a lot of police I'm not going to tell either. Right. No, yeah. And I was the guy in the back of the room with the therapist, and like, why is he here? You know, that that, that negative attitude, we're fine. Why, why give us this or don't accept the treatment? So I'm completely guilty of it as well. So there came a point where you decided that you had to make some changes. Yeah, and that was, you know, changes as far as, like, transferring out. Ultimately, I decided to leave law enforcement. I considered uh, going back to Vegas even to stay in law enforcement, but I made a family decision, so I elected to get out and go into some entrepreneurship type type roles. Um, and then after about six months of getting out, like I said earlier, those, those doors started to open in my mind, and um, I said I, I really realized what needs to be done in order to transition out of these type of roles versus uh, law, LE and military alike. Um, so that's when I reached out. For me personally, I had to find something else to do that, that I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. And look, I look back and I think, man, that was a lifetime ago I policed. And then sometimes it feels like only yesterday. And sometimes, right. most of the time, it still feels like it's part of my DNA. That doesn't mean I approve of everything, but I don't get into pointless discussions and disagreements with people I don't know, especially on social media. They're total strangers to me. I just don't do it. Right. And the main reason why is, Rob, I don't like how I get. They could be they could be as ignorant as the day is long, but my life is too short to be getting angry with people I don't know. Correct. I, and there's a lot of them out there. There's way too many of them. Oh, my goodness, especially on social media. Uh, I, I want to quickly go into your website, pyftribe.com. What's that about, and what do you do? So after going through all my experiences and then getting out and having some failures, also some successes, and I really realized I've, I've observed officers and people in the military saying, well, I love this, or I, I'm over this job, or they might even love it, but it's time for them to get out. 
and they, but they say, oh, but what else am I going to do? How else am I going to make this much money? And they, they, you kind of sucked into this, what I call the black hole effect where you, it's got its teeth stuck in you and you can't do anything to get out. So I'm not encouraging officers to leave, but people like me or even retirees, I'm encouraging them. And I'm, I have resources that I've compiled. It's an online community um, where I have networking. I bring in, I have a mental health treatment that I went through at 22 zero. Um, you want some of that, just DM me or go to their website. It was phenomenal night and day difference for my PTSD, uh, off one treatment with them. Um, I have nutritionists, uh, financial planners, et cetera. So what it is, it's a, tr- it's a community for officers and military veterans to come network, get resources and have a successful transition out instead of failing. I think a big part of officers and and you know, the ones that are committing suicide as they get out they remove themselves from the only thing they've ever known or they, they think they've ever known and they they fail and then they fail right. well you oh, fail I, in law enforcement and you all die. your coping skills are, are gone the website is pyftribe.com that's pyftribe.com rob thanks for your service and thanks for being guest on the show very much appreciated all right thank you appreciate you having me i'd like to thank our guests for coming on the law enforcement talk radio show The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.